Well, uh, hey everybody, um, my name is Jonathan. Welcome to Large Group. If, if this is your first time, especially welcome. Uh, I'd love to get to know you more and hang out with you <coughs> some more. Um, so this is RUF Large Group. RUF does a lot of things throughout the week, um, but this is kind of our front door, if you will. It's our front porch. Um, and so what are we, you know, what are we here for? We, RUF exists on campus for two main reasons. One, we want to make a big campus feel a little bit smaller through community. Uh, we want to, it's a lonely campus, and so we want to provide a place for people who are lonely to come and be human, which is the full expansion of being human. Sad, mad, glad, everything in between. So, and then the second thing we want to do is we're a Christian group. We want to explore how and if and why the Christian message, the Christian Bible, the claims of Christianity apply to college. Do they? How? So? And we're all sort of in that process, so... No matter where you find yourself on that, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, and if you're still newish to RUF, I encourage you come back. Keep coming back. Often it takes, in my as I've seen, it takes some time. You're not going to get to know this the first time. So come back. Come a couple of times. Just like you don't know a friend the first time you hang out, give this a couple of times. Come and hang out with us. Um, join a small group, come on an event, come paint with us on Saturday, and uh, you'll get to know us a little bit more, we'll see what we're about. Um, so this semester, in our large group, we've been looking at the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is a really interesting book, as we've been seeing for the first couple of weeks, and we'll continue to see. It's got some parts that are really strange, um, but I, I think, as we've seen, I hope we continue to see, it's actually really, really relevant to the, uh, the lives, to the way that we are living today, um, and so we're going to keep, keep exploring that. And the way I want to start off by exploring it tonight <clears throat> is to maybe reach back and what feels like a little bit further for you, it feels more recent for me, to April 20, 2010. So I was in college at the time, I actually remember this pretty well, and it was, uh, I remember I was, I was on the, um, I don't know, I was a nerd in college, I was reading the news, and I just saw something pop up that there was like, there was an explosion on an oil rig in the, in the Gulf. And um, maybe some of you saw the movie, the Deepwater Horizon drilling rig had, a, you know, had an explosion and ruptured off of the oil well, and oil started blasting out of the well into the ocean. And for the next almost five months, this thing was pounding oil out, and it, it pounded out five million barrels of oil over five months, which is the equivalent to, I mean, this is so staggering, 21 million gallons 21 million gallons of oil piled out of here. So it, the spill, it was the largest accidental oil spill in, in history. It, it covered 68,000 square miles. That's half of the state of New Mexico in the Gulf area were cut, was covered in oil. And uh, the oil could be seen from space. You can see in this picture. So you can see down here, here's the, the Gulf of Mexico. You can see like in that whitish spot, that's where the oil is. But you can see how it spread out over the whole Gulf area. And uh, the effects were, I mean, just staggering. There were environmental effects. There were economic effects, ecological, social, political. So ecologically, thousands of birds, thousands of animals got oil into their feathers and drowned and died, which is tragic, um, no doubt. You know, marine life, the whole ecosystem was affected because fish couldn't get oxygen and so they were dying which was you know that they were the prey and so the whole thing got thrown off um, 
the cost to clean it up cost $14 billion, and the total economic damage to tourism and fishing in the Gulf was $22 billion. So it's just like staggering amounts of money from, an, you know, from, a, from, a, from a gigantic pollution event. A gigantic, and so everything that the oil touched, even a little bit of it was harmed and was hurt. It was polluted. So how, how, okay, how does this relate to Leviticus? How does this tie into a book that was written 3,500 years ago to an ethnic tribe in the middle of the desert? (laughs) Well, here's how it is. I think it's because of this. Like that oil slick, sin has a tendency to pollute everything around it. Sin has a tendency to pollute everything about. And I promised y'all when I said we were going to talk about Leviticus that we had to deal with sin. We have to look sin squarely in the face. And tonight, what we have to look at is the effect of sin polluting things in our lives. That sin is not just a harm to us as sinners, as individuals, but it actually, like an oil slick, it gets everywhere. It gets into everything, and it harms things around it. It harms anything it touches. And so tonight, we're going to take a hard look at how sin pollutes and how God purifies how sin pollutes and how purifies. So look with me at the text. And we'll, I'm going to read it and then we'll make, uh, we'll make some quick observations. If you, if you have your handout, your bulletin, look with me at the text. And this is God's word. And the Lord said to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins in t- unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done, and does any one of them, if it is the high priest who sins... Thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Verse 8, and all of the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, at the loins and the long lobe of the liver, that he shall remove from the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside of the camp to a clean place, to the ash heap, where shall he, where he shall, where, and shall burn it up on the fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for this time that we can uh, come once again and examine your word and see how it speaks to and affects our lives. Father, I pray as we look at a rather gory passage tonight that you would speak through it and speak to us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, Stephen, can you go turn the heat down? It's getting hot in here. Um, And maybe prop the door open. Thanks, man. Okay, so 
Weird passage, right? Some weird stuff going on in here, right? We're talking about bull entrails, doing weird things with blood, weird stuff, right? Okay, so I told you this book has got some strange stuff that we're going to deal with. But remember what I said last week. Remember what I said last week as I pour water all over myself. The most important thing to remember when we're studying this book, the most important thing to remember is why it was written and who it was written to. Why this book was written and who it was written to. So if you remember, Leviticus was written to the ethnic Jewish people. They were called the Israelites about 3,500 years ago. And they had just been freed by the living God, this God of the Bible, from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Okay, So here they are. They've been freed from slavery. And not only had they just been freed, but the living God had literally nuked the superpower of the world, Egypt, in these ten giant plagues and had brought them to their knees. And then they crossed the Red Sea, if you know the story. The sea splits open and they walk through it on dry land and they get to the other side. And now they're like this incredible God who is so powerful, comes and says, I'm going to be your God, I'm going to dwell among you. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. This can't happen. This God can't dwell among us. We're in trouble. We're in trouble if this God... This, this, this is the guiding question for this book of Leviticus, and it's this. The Israelites are asking, how does a holy and all-powerful God who destroys nations live among his people without also destroying them? How does a holy and powerful God live among his people without destroying them? The first question in their mind would have been, but look at us. We can't have this level of God living in us. He will destroy us. Well, why? Because they were very, very aware of sin, of their own sin, and of the polluting effect that that sin had on those around us. Here, they understood that sin doesn't just affect them, just them, but that sin, it spreads out. It pollutes like an oil slick. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3 with me. Look what it says. If the anointed priest who, sin, who sins, thus bringing guilt on all the people. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying that one person can sin and it can spread out to affect other people, other things. If one person's sin can have an effect on the community, then everyone is polluted. And not just the people, but the things in among the people, like the tent, which is supposed to be God's palace. Here's God living among them. Even the tent can get polluted. Even the land can get polluted. Everything, like an oil slick, can get polluted by sin. Now, this is really strange for us to think about and really strange for us to understand because we live in a culture that is kind of the opposite of that. We live in a culture that is very individualistic, right? We live in a world that only thinks about me and basically me. (laughs) But sometimes we think about me and God. Am I good with God? We don't necessarily think of... We think of ourselves basically how our actions pertain to me, and that's about it. We think as very isolated individual agents. But I think if we're honest, you'll see the reality. You can acknowledge the reality that your actions have tremendous influence and effects on the people around you. And that if, you, if you think about it, what we think are just little individual vices, maybe just small little tiny little sins, 
they actually get out and they affect everything around us like an oil spill. And I think, I think it's one of the most insidious and, and subtle and dangerous lies that our age tells us that our actions just affect us. That our actions just affect us and that, that, that maybe they glance off against other people, but they, it's just mostly me. So, for example, I'm going to take one that's kind of poignant, so stay with me. Think about pornography usage. We often think, like, it's just me. It's just me. It's just something I do. It doesn't really affect with anyone else, but stick with me. It's very well documented. You can do the research. It's well documented by all kinds of sociologists and sex experts and all kinds of people that regular use of, of pornography, it negatively affects our relationships with other people so that we start to view other people through the lens of how can I use them? How can I get what I want to from them emotionally and physically? And we start, then we start to treat people differently. And then, and then if we're really bad, if we start to do this on a, like on a social level, a whole bunch of people doing it, then we start on, you know, we create massive sex industries that, like a whole society that abuses women and weaponizes sexuality and crushes marriages. And pretty soon you've got kids who are the product of marriages that don't know what to do with sexuality and are hurt because of sexual brokenness. And do you see how all of a sudden something, you're just like, oh, it's just me. Blows up into something that affects and, and I mean, honestly, y'all, it harms so many people. Do you see what happens here? Sin pollutes. It takes something that is healthy and good, like human sexuality, which is a great thing, and it twists it and it warps it and then it hurts other people with it. It spoils it and it spoils things around it. That, that sin in one area of our life, like an oil spill, goes and affects all the other areas of our life. And, and it can even do this when it's unintentional. Look what it says. If, if it says if a, sin, if a priest sins unintentionally, unintentionally, so that could be either doing something that we don't know we shouldn't do or not doing something that we know we should do. And, and it can even be unintentional. For example, let's say I have an argument with my wife. Let's say I have an argument with my wife, which sometimes happens. And then I come to the campus and I meet with a student. And I'm frustrated because of this argument that I've had with my wife. And my demeanor is still kind of frustrated and angry. And then, you know, as I come across to this person that I'm meeting with, they think, man, Jonathan's mad at me. Jonathan's angry at me. And they come away feeling hurt. And they come away feeling like, I don't know if I want to hang out with Jonathan because he, I think he was angry at me. I didn't mean to go to this person and be like, I'm mad at you. I didn't even mean to hurt him. And yet, something that went wrong in my marriage spills over and unintentionally hurts another person. Even unintentional sins, it flows out. It hurts. All sin pollutes. This presents a problem. Sin is pollution. It's impurity. It's like a highly contagious disease. That's another way to think of it. It affects and infects everything that we touch. Just a couple of days ago, Savannah and I were talking, and she was talking with a group of us. She works at a lab. And she was talking about how there was a group of people at the lab who were not handling bacteria well. They weren't handling, they were just like flippantly dealing with petri dishes and all kinds of stuff. Fortunately, nothing happened. But imagine what would happen if some of that bacteria had spilled. 
And it kind of blew, you know, just went everywhere. Everything would get contaminated. Clothes, floor, counter, everything would get touched by this bacteria. And what do you have to do with it? How do you treat stuff that gets contaminated? You have to incinerate it. You have to destroy it. You have to, you have to completely kill the impurity. So not only does sin bring pollution, but it also brings death. We have to destroy the impurity. That's how God deals with sin. When he sees impurity, which gets everywhere, he has to destroy it. He has to incinerate it. Remember last week, and we, talk, we, talk, we can talk more about this if you want, and we can grab coffee, but that we say that God is holy. And what we mean by that is that God is completely separate, that God is completely powerful, and that God is completely pure. You put those three things together, and what happens when he gets in touch with something that's not that way? He has to destroy it. He does destroy it, and it's even good that he destroys it. Otherwise, we just have this world where evil just keeps spreading out like an oil spill. No, something has to come in and deal with this pollution. And God deals with it by destroying it. Now, the Israelites got this. The Israelites look at this and they see their own impurity and they say, we can't let this God dwell among us. We're impure. He will destroy us. He'll destroy us. How do we deal with this pollution? How can this God live among us and not incinerate us? We're sinners who pollute things and by all rights we should be destroyed. So they had an urgent need to take care of sin. They had to take care of it. And, and here's the rub, friends. We're the same way. We're the same way. We have the same sin problem, which creates the same pollution problem, which creates the same, what are we going to do with this mess? Sin pollutes just like it did 3,000 years ago. And it's not just individual isolated things. It, it it gets into systems and it ruins all of systems. So, so sin hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. How are we going to deal with this? How do we deal with this pollution that sin does? And I, I hope you feel the urgency of this. Because the Israelites definitely did. They, they had to deal with this. So what happens? Well, God gives a solution. God gives a solution, and it's this, it's this ritual sacrifice that we just read. So, again, we're not always comfortable with animal sacrifice. It feels weird to us. It feels pagan. It, feels animal, it just feels strange to us. And um, we can talk about this more. I talked on it briefly last week. But, one, it was really common back then. So everybody was doing it. Now, that doesn't mean it's okay, but it, doesn't feel it, was, it wasn't weird to them. So that's the first thing. Second of all, here's the reality. Something had to be consumed. Something had to be incinerated. We have to get rid of the impurity. Something has to bear the punishment of the sin, whether it's an animal or, it's an, or the Israelites. And so what does God do? He says, here, put the impurity, put the pollution on the animal, not on you. That's God's grace. His grace as he comes down and he says, we're going to deal with the impurity. We're going to deal with the pollution so I don't destroy you. This animal gets destroyed in your place. So he gives a solution. Well, what is the solution? Well, we just kind of read it in verses 3 through 8, and I'll just summarize it. Well, what would they do? They would take a bull, right? You just reread it, but I'll describe it again. And they take a bull, they'd bring it into this place, 
this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, and the priest would put his hand on it. And what did that? It symbolized, well, he's impure. Now he touches it, and what happens to it? It gets impure. And symbolically and spiritually, all the impurity gets put onto that bull. Then what do they do with it? They take it, and they kill it. And they cut its throat, and it starts bleeding. What do they do? They capture some of that blood. And then they go into the tent of meeting. They go into the place of God's palace and they start flicking blood on stuff. Because remember, sin pollutes everything it touches. And so somehow that has to get clean. Something has to pay for it. So symbolically and spiritually, we think it's weird, but you got... somehow that blood cleans it. Not in an antiseptic kind of way, but it, it covers it up it, it cleans it, it purifies it. It says something has suffered in place of. It cleans the impurity. Next, what do they do? They take the rest of the blood and they pour it out in front of the altar. I looked it up. The average cow has, a, has about 16 gallons of blood in it. That's a kitty-sized pool. That's a lot of blood. So here they are pouring blood out and it runs everywhere. And then they start burning the animal. And then they take the rest of the animal and they take it out of the camp, which symbolically represents we're taking this thing that is impure and we're throwing it out of the camp. So what has happened? We are left with a burned animal, a giant lake of blood, and an animal that's taken out of the camp. It's bloody stuff. It's gory, gory stuff. It is a gruesome process. But what does it do? It forces them to see the effects of their sin. They are looking it dead in the eye as they kill an animal. As they look at a pile of... I mean, it's gruesome, but they're like, this should be us. This should be us, and this animal is taking our place. Again, I said this last week. I think this is very foreign to us. It feels pagan, but that sort of thing. But I think, I think the reason that this feels strange to us is because we have lost the weight of sin in our world. We don't feel the urgency of it. We don't feel the urgency that they felt of, we've got to deal with this. How? And I think to the extent that we begin to dwell on our brokenness, our sinful pollution, and God's holiness, this starts to make a lot more sense. You start to see even your need for it. Now, this is a temporary solution. Otherwise, they'd have to keep doing it over and over again because a cow can't pay for human sin. Of course not. Of course it can't. Now, again, I made the joke last week, we don't slaughter bulls in RUF. That would be weird. (laughs) So what changed? Once again, what changed so that we don't kill bulls, but that we can deal with sin and its pollution? The difference is Jesus Christ, that he is the better and perfect solution. He is the better and perfect purification Animal blood is temporary. It cannot pay for sin fully. Something better, something permanent, something perfect had to come and deal with sin forever, permanently, constantly, for all time. Listen to this. This is from the book of Hebrews. This is another book in the Bible, and it's reflecting on Jesus and what he's done. Listen to this. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest through a greater and more perfect tent... He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, 
thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of the heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh. Listen to this. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish, He was perfect, without blemish, to God, for what end? To purify to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Do you see what this means, friends? Do you see what this means? It means that Jesus is the greater permanent purifying sacrifice. That means that He died not just for your unintentional sins, not just for your sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And that he did it. His sacrifice was permanent. His sacrifice happened and now he, His Just like an oil slick spreads out, now his blood spreads out and starts beating back, dealing with, conquering, cleaning, purifying all the pollution of all the sin and all the effects in the entire world. That's the gospel, friends, that as far as sin goes, as far as the curse of sin goes, his blood goes further. His blood goes further and cleans deeper than even our sin can pollute. It's just like the song that we sang. One time, once for all, death in his grave brings life. All right, so what does this mean? How does this affect you and me? 2,000 years later after Jesus, in the middle of another desert in New Mexico. Well, a couple of things. First, for those of you who don't know where you are with Christianity, you're like, I don't know, I'm still exploring. I'm thinking about ideas. I'm thinking about faith. I challenge you... Hear me say this. I, I, I don't know how to say it. I love you while I say this. But I challenge you to think about sin. I challenge you to think about pollution. And maybe even the role that you play in that. That you might be a sinner who, who, who needs to be purified. And if you think that's strange, if you think that's confusing, if you think that's offensive, come talk to me. I'd love to talk about it. You listen to me for 30 minutes, I'll listen to you for an hour. We'll make a deal. And we can talk through it. Feel the weight of sin. Feel the need for purification like the Israelites did. And see how Jesus offers that perfect purity. Second, for those of you who are Christians and you're like, I I know I'm a Christian. Here's how this applies for you. I think there's two, two applications. First, we've got to be tenacious about our sin. We've got to kill sin. Here's the deal. Either you're killing sin or it's killing you. There is no parley. There's no negotiation. There's no like, I'll get to it later. We cannot be ambivalent or complacent about sin in our lives. So here's my challenge to you for this week. Find the little things that you sort of allow yourself that you just say like, aren't that bad. And I often find there are things that we don't even mean to say they're that bad. We just kind of subconsciously say like, I'll get to it later. Find those things and go at them, knowing that they are harming not just you, but those around you. The longing glance at someone who you find attractive. The night you just get tipsy, but you're not drunk, just to take the edge off. The peek at a friend's test, nursing a silent grudge, maybe even against someone in this room. Ignoring a difficult friend just because it's easier or I'm in a hurry. I mean, y'all... I say these things and I just feel it point right back at me. I'm in the same boat with you. 
be merciless on sin. And if you have questions, let's talk about it. Here's the second thing. Remind yourself every single day that Christ's blood purifies your sin. Every day you have to remind yourself of that because look, if you don't, it will pile up on you and you will feel crushed by the weight of your sin. You have to preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Remember Christianity is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how we deal with our purity problem. Not by us dealing with it, but by saying God has dealt with it. God deals with it. If you have that one sin that plagues you, haunts you, keeps you up at night, and we all have it, we all have it, God has purified that sin in Christ once and for all. Trust that. Trust that. Bring it to Jesus. He is in the business of dealing with our shame. Jesus is in the business of dealing with our shame. You have to tell yourself that every week, every day, or you'll be crushed by it. Trust that he covers it. Trust that he pays for it, that he fixes it completely. And second, that God, if God deals with our sin, that God deals with our pollution, then that means he deals with all of it. And that means that he is in the process of pushing back. God is like the anti-oil spill. He's coming and pushing back. Where there's oil, he's, pu- he's eradicating it. That means if you've had a really crappy day, that means if you've had a day where you're just like, I cannot deal with the pollution of sin. God is in the process of pushing back against that. He is removing oil through the perfect, precious blood of Jesus Christ. God dealt with sin. And he is in the process of dealing with sin. If that's, through, if, if that's your sadness, if that's your anger, if that's death, if that's hurt, all of it, all of the polluting effects of sin, God is dealing with them now. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. Rest in it. Trust in it. God does not judge you, so don't judge yourself more harshly than God does. If you're a Christian... God does not judge you, so do not judge yourself more harshly than God does. So what do we see in this passage tonight, friends? I think we see one thing. One thing. We see that God restores the sinner who appeals to him for forgiveness on the basis of purifying blood. God restores the sinner who appeals to him for forgiveness on the basis of purifying blood. He did that 3,500 years ago. He did that 2,000 years permanently And he's doing it today. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, thanks for this text. Thanks for how, Father, in your goodness, it does speak to our world. Father, there's a lot of different stories, a lot of different perspectives in this room. But I, I pray, Lord, that in the midst of all of them, that your spirit would be honing and working through your word to be meeting us where you are. That you would continue to deal with sin as you always have, um, and that you would be pushing back the effects of the pollution as far as it's found. Um, and until that day, give us courage and hope and trust. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.